0: Oh, I will have fun. That is, that is, there, there are a few places in Christendom where the spiritual leader of the house hands it over to a guest and says, have fun, have a good time. Because sometimes you go to church and I think the spiritual leader wants you to feel bad, but not your spiritual leader. Pastor Jim, thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me be here. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for loving all of these people and all their friends and all those who are turkeys and took off to somewhere warm when Pastor Josh is coming to town. So show some love to Pastor and Dina, just real, just real briefly here because I love them so much. And I, I'm going to go quick because I'm afraid that if I were to just start talking, and I, and I am going to talk from the heart. But if I were to go down rabbit trails, they would all be meaningful. Some of them would make you cry. Some of them would make me cry. And I would love to just go around the room and tell all the stories of when, and I'll just pick on Josh and Lauren for a second, when I first met those two. And uh, Josh came, when I, when I came here, to, even for my first visit to the Freedom Center, Pastor Jim and Dina gave Jennifer and I uh, their bed. Because Jenny was pregnant with our first. And, uh, and in the middle of the night, 12-year-old Josh Wiegand, 12-year-old Josh Weigand comes walking into the bedroom and he, I can't remember if you had a bad dream or you were sick in the night. I'm like, buddy, your mom's not here. How awkward would it be for a 12-year-old boy to go get mom in the middle of the night? It's like, oh, there's strange people in my parents' bed. I don't know what's happening. So... Fun stuff like that is what I would, that, that's, that's what my personality is given to, and that's what I would love to do for the next hour and a half, but you guys would be like, all right, stop, it's not about you. And it's not about me. It's Kingdom Builder Sunday. How exciting. And I know some of you were here when Rob Ketterling was here just a few weeks ago. That church is, has been setting the pace around the country as churches are saying, wait a second. You mean when we, you know, there's the Lord's tithe, Right. We're going to bring the Lord's tithe. It's all his money and he asks for a portion of it back and we bring it back to support the house and to continue ministry and to, to take care of just to shepherd this community. But then beyond that, we can build the kingdom of God in the Ukraine. We can build the kingdom of God in every young leader that FCA invests in and then sends out. I mean, I wasn't an FCA student, but I am certainly a young leader that this church sent out to make a difference. And I could tell you story after story of how the investment that the Freedom Center made in me made an impact in teenagers when Jennifer and I left here and went to Lansing, Michigan and the lessons that I was able to take and the one-liners from Pastor Jim that I still use to this day. And years ago, I stopped giving him credit because I've said them so many times, they're mine. First thing he ever said to me about the Freedom Center was, he said, it's nothing special, but it's a miracle. And my heart latched onto that because I wanted to be a part of what God was doing in the kingdom. And if he's doing it everywhere, we have to have a modesty in saying that, yes, God is doing this here, but he's doing it everywhere. Well, I've traveled a lot, Pastor Jim. About 100 days a year, I get to travel. Um, Those are work days, by the way. And of those 100 about, I counted it up last year, 33 of them, members of my family were with me. And so sadly, nobody's with me today, but I did bring a picture because, don't put it up just yet, because when we were here last, our oldest, Isaac, who's now 18, was born Just a few weeks after we got here, and I still have memories of Rachel Cox coming over with Samuel and him walking in his little diaper across the uh, living room at the parsonage where Faye and Carl live. Anyway, so those of you who remember us from back then, I brought a a family picture. You can put that up now uh, just to contextualize kind of where the Wellborn clan has gone from (laughs) all those years ago. We've added a few. You're like, you must really like kids. No, nope, I really like my wife. Um, so, <laughs> no, I do. I do. <laughs> but uh, Isaac is 18. Simon is 16. and Liza is going to be, she's 12. She's going to be 13 before too long. And then Stella is 10. Liza was the last one that was born here. And then I think it was that summer that we transitioned uh, to the next ministry post that the Lord called us to. And uh, Jenny and I had only been married for... Uh, four years. We celebrated our four-year anniversary after moving to to Fenton uh, at a restaurant in Linden that It was Brady's on Broad Street. Is that what it's called? And uh, and how special it was to be young, and how special it was to be full of energy, and how special it was to be full of creativity, and how special it was to have a boss who took time to sit me down and say, Hey, you know, when I say to, that work starts at nine o'clock, Josh, I don't mean nine ten. I don't mean 9.15. I'm like, oh, I need to be on time? <laughs> Those were the kind of lessons that Pastor Jim and Dina invested in me, and then they would have us over for breakfast on Monday morning, and we would talk about ministry. See, I'm doing what I said I wasn't going to do. Title of today's message is, You Go First, and I Will Say Yes. Isaac had a funny uh, thing happen to him recently. He's our 18-year-old um, he was 16 when this happened. He hadn't been driving that long. And so he's taking my car and he's going to go out on a Friday night and, you know, where are you going? Who are you going to be with? What time are you going to be back? Uh, You know, who's going to be riding with you? Things like that. All those questions. And we're kind of nervous. But Isaac, if you remember him, he's an old soul. He's the one that as I tried to video him walking into kindergarten at State Road Elementary School, he's going, dad, seriously, stop. You know, he just wouldn't, he's just, very independent. And so, you know, he's going downtown that night for a concert. And I'm like, okay, who's what's the band, you know, how much is it, things like that. And uh, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and you're going to be home by 10 o'clock. I said, like, Isaac, listen, you go downtown. Here's where you park. Don't go down this street. Go down this street. This is downtown Springfield, Missouri. Uh, You know, so I know it pretty well. I actually grew up there. And so I'm like, don't go to these parts. Just stay in this part, get in your car, come back home, be home by 10. He's like, well, dad, the the first band starts at nine o'clock. That means the second band's not really going to start till about 945 and we're not going to I said, 10 o'clock is just too early. He's like, I'll come. He's like, can I just be home by midnight? That's what time Brady's dad says he has to be home. Can, we, can I be home by midnight? I'm like, Isaac, downtown at midnight? I'm like, Isaac, no. Bad idea. Parents, have you had these conversations with your kids? I know Fenton's a little bit of a different downtown dynamic, but this would be more comp- Not quite downtown Flint, so maybe not that comparison. Maybe downtown Brighton would be more of a better comparison. And so, but then he says this to me, because sometimes, sometimes courage needs to be tempered with wisdom. This is, this is what he says to me. He's like, dad, it's okay. I've got a knife with me and I've got a taser. I'm like, what? And he said it very quickly as though that was going to be the passing comment to get him into the garage and into my car and then on his way. It's like, well, first of all, where did you get a taser? He's like, Amazon. I'm like, okay, so 16-year-olds can buy tasers on Amazon. Good to know. Good to, what else can you buy on Amazon? Because sometimes, sometimes courage needs to be tempered with wisdom. Am I right? And then sometimes there is so much fear that you can't even see the courage. Sometimes you're trying to go somewhere And fear is so prohibitive. And I can't help but wonder of the times when God is watching us going, hey, you're getting a little courageous, but I need you to use some wisdom. And then other times I wonder if God is saying, you're being scared and it's just ridiculous. There's a video that comes to mind when I think about this concept of being fearful when we shouldn't be. There's this Uh, tourist attraction in China where it's a, a glass bridge and people walk out on it and it has some of them have the sensation of well there's nothing underneath me and just to make it even more scary some of the glass panels in the bridge have been replaced with LED screens TV screens and so, as they walk on it, somebody that works at that national park or whatever they call it there in China has decided it would be funny to turn those TV screens to make them look like cracked and breaking glass. I brought the video clip to show you what this experience is like for these people. <laughs> 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 that last one was an FCA student um, it wasn't do you ever think do you ever think that God is watching us going would you stop being scared there is nothing to be afraid of. I have given you everything that you need. You are safe. You are protected. Yet we are screaming and clinging to, for dear life as though it's all going to end. And he's going, would you just trust me? But like that other story, we all can think of times where we had to have wisdom, but we had more zeal than we had wisdom. And so we're trying to find this center ground where wisdom lives, but trusting in God is reckless. We sing about it, Right? We talk about it in our small groups. But today on Kingdom Builders Sunday, you're going to be asked to step out in faith. And I'm going to challenge you with this. Because we saw the video of the Ukrainian refugees. I have friends who are Ukrainian pastors that are there now. And every time I see a Convoy of Hope video, I think of uh, the founder of Convoy. His name's Hal. He was the editor of a Christian magazine when he had a meeting with Mother Teresa. Through his, He was writing an article journalist, editor, he was meeting with Mother Teresa and Mother Teresa said to him, what are you doing to help the poor? And I've heard him tell this story dozens of times, maybe some of you have heard it. And as a Christian, working in the Christian literature industry, he felt convicted. He said, well, I guess I'm not really doing much of anything. I write these articles that encourage pastors and Christians and build their faith, but I don't know that I'm doing anything for the poor. And Mother Teresa said to him, no one can do everything to take care of every need, but everyone can do something to take care of some need. That was the trigger to launch the organization that we know of as Convoy of Hope, and now it's one of the largest nonprofit NGOs in the, con- in the world. Celebrities get on board with it. We could play, I, Oftentimes with teenagers, I'll play video clips of the different celebrities that endorse Convoy of Hope because I want teenagers to learn to trust God with their finances at a young age. So that when they're sitting there looking at a pile of bills, they're still able to trust God, right? That's what I want for my son. That's what I want for my daughters, my sons. I have two. So today in first Kings chapter 17, one of my favorite stories of trusting God in the Bible, because it feels very real and it it, it scratches in a place where I itch when it comes to my desire for um, my desire for myself and my family but also my desire for you. In first Kings chapter seventeen verse, verses eight through sixteen, it's the time in the nation of Israel where the whole country is extremely wicked. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. There's an evil king. His name is Ahab. Some of you know that name. If you don't know that name, you might be familiar with his wife's name, the queen. Her name was Jezebel. To this day, calling someone a Jezebel is an insult, and it all traces back to this woman. These were wicked, wicked people, and when I say they were wicked, it wasn't like a conflict between conservatives and liberals, and it's like, well, we don't like the decisions he's making. No, 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 no. Sexual immorality was rampant during this time. And not the kind where it's like, we're promoting it. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Not that kind of sexual immorality. The kind where people were literally fearful when they went into the streets. The idol worship that you read about in the Old Testament, for those of you who study your Bibles, oftentimes was uh, built around sensuality and immoral practices that were so disturbing. Most pastors will never talk about them on a Sunday, and I'm not going to today. Suffice it to say, it was bad. The prophet of God at this time was Elijah. Now, when I say the prophet of God, you've got to contextualize this. Think of it as a member of the president's cabinet, the, 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 a council, a, a spiritual leader for the whole nation. So this would be similar to, or even a vice president, somebody with that kind of clout and that kind of visibility and leadership says to the king, if we don't change this, God's going to punish this country. There's going to be a famine. And there was, it was apocalyptic in nature. Societal breakdown had taken root. This was not something that uh, the doomsday preppers were ready for. This was something that was convincing people that, that the end was near if they'd had that concept in their culture. It's that bad. That's the setting we find Elijah in, in this text of scripture. And this is the setting where I'm going to introduce to you a single mom that God spoke to to have faith, and to give something that she didn't think she could give. So the setting is this. In verse 8, Elijah has been provided for during this time of famine. God is supernaturally providing him food and water. It's at the brook Cherith. It's it's a whole story. You'd have to read it in in the book of 1 Kings. I'm not going to go into it right now. But suffice it to say, he was providing for for the man of God. But then that provision ended, and God said something new. He says to Elijah, God says, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. A widow? Well, she must be a rich widow, God. She must have more than enough. Her husband must have been somebody really, really important and left her with a really nice inheritance to be taken care of. Okay, God, I'm going to go to Zarephath to be provided for. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called out to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. Now, I want you to notice something. It says that God has already instructed this widow that she is going to feed the prophet of God we learn that she's not well-to-do. She's very poor. Her response indicates that she's not just poor. She's living well, well, well below the poverty line. But she knows that God's already spoken to her. And she did what many of us do when God's spoken to us and our time of obedience comes. She says this, "Um, I swear by the Lord your God, but I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I only have a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of a jug. I was gathering a few sticks to cook our last meal. Then my son and I will die. I don't know how many of you took culinary arts at Fenton High School, but a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil does not make a meal. But that's what she's calling it at this point. A little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, that's not on the menu at Mega. Mega. Like this is not, like like we think those communion wafers are a little tasteless. Think about that and then remove some taste. And then you've got the meal that she's about to prepare. And I actually skipped over a verse. I didn't do it on purpose. But as she's going to get the water, Elijah calls out to her. Hey, as you're going to get me a drink, bring me some food too. My guess is because she knew that the prophet of God was coming. She knows what's happening. She's walking, maybe even begrudgingly. Okay, is this this better not be the... She probably knows who he is. Again, this is a nationally known official who, in many people's eyes, brought on the famine that they were experiencing. And as she's walking away, I'll get him some water, I'll give him his drink, and then he'll be on his way. No doubt water was difficult to come by at that point. They weren't completely without resource. We know that in that region of the world, they could have been many weeks or many days, but you could travel to other countries. We know this from other places in Scripture to buy food to bring back to the land where there was famine. This is how humans were able to sustain their societies for eons. I don't know about that. I'm not a geologist or ancient history specialist, but we know that they had access to stuff from other lands. She could have stopped in that moment and said, who are you talking to? Do you see the dried up riverbed? Normally, you would cross over the bridge into the village and you'd see children playing by the water. You would see women and children going down to gather water for the household needs. You might see men fishing in the river. You might see men coming in with their catch for the day. A few lake trout, maybe some tilapia to feed the family for the day. That's what you would normally see, but it's a famine. It's a dried up riverbed. Prophet, where am I supposed to get food? She could have pointed to the dried up dusty field where they used to grow wheat. I'm imagining the dead skeleton of a cow alongside the the edge of that field. Just to add to the picture of it all. Say, Prophet, you've seen our fields. There's people hungry in the streets. They're dying. She herself is about ready to have one last caloric intake, and then it's curtains. She's probably not the only one. We don't know what happened to her husband. Perhaps it was a tragedy of of sickness. Maybe it was a tragedy of of whatever kind of work he did, but maybe it was part of the societal breakdown that was taking place, and there were gangs of men who would come and steal what others have just to survive, because when society breaks down, character diminishes. She could have pointed to all that and said, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. She points to the fact that they're going to die and says, I can't. And Elijah says something interesting back to her because he's the man of God, because he has heard from God, because he is walking forward across that scary bridge with confidence. He says to her, don't be afraid. It's not his first day in school j- trusting God. He's already been down this road before and he knows Sometimes God's the slowest person, you know, but he's always on time. She said, or he says to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said. Make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left over to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did just as Elijah said, and Elijah and her family, important to notice that. It's not just her and the son. The, the context of saying her family would have meant, this is, this is a time in culture when generational households were pretty, that was the order of the day. This would have been the grandparents. This would have been uh, cousins. This would have been, so her entire family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Think about what that meant for that single mom. It wasn't just enough to provide for her son. It was enough to provide for her whole household, which could have been dozens of people. We don't know. But also, if you've got a never-ending container of oil, a never-ending container of flour, you have a resource that you can now trade with those merchants who went all the way to the land of Goshen and came back with with the flour that you need to make more bread. You had something that you could trade with, I guess you're not trading flour if you've got a never-ending container of flour. You can trade with the merchants who are coming back from the Mediterranean Sea with their dried meat products, with with the fish. You can trade for the uh, material that you need to make more clothing. All of a sudden, she's not just a single mom relying on a handout from from a few generous people. She's now a small business owner in that community providing for others. See, that's what the obedience of God comes with. Obedience to God comes with a supernatural blessing. In her case, an entrepreneurial opportunity. In her case, a miracle jar. It's got flour and oil. Because I remember hearing this story as a kid and just being like, what would you want with a bunch of flour? Because like, have, I remember being like, when you get your like the munchies as like a, you know, 11, 12 year old, you go, you what you really want is the snacks that mom bought specifically for packing the lunch. But in my house, we have to keep that stuff locked away because that's the stuff where it's like, it's the prepackaged chips and Rice Krispie treats. And those just go in the brown bag for lunch every day. But that's what my kids really want. But then you go looking in the other cupboards because that one's locked. And it's like, oh, there's sugar. Oh, sugar's good. Ah. Well, then my mom learns to hide the sugar, and then you see the flour. You're like, or the brown sugar. And then you're like, oh, brown sugar's good. Then she learns to hide the brown sugar, and then you see the flour. And it's like, I don't need that. Why did I put that in my mouth? That's bad. So, just a couple of thoughts for you. And then, um, I, I, what an honor today. It was the recession when we left here. I'm at the Freedom Center. I can say what I was thinking. It sucked. <laughs> it did. It did. We left a home we loved here. Um, friends, Pastor Adam and I still talk almost almost weekly, monthly anyway. And um, I drove by that house yesterday. Started taking video of it on Caroline Street. That's where we lived. Old lady came out. Can I help you? <laughs> and then I remembered where I was. I'm like, Johnny, I'm, it's, I'm lucky she didn't come out shooting. <laughs> like, people in Michigan carry. <laughs> and uh, and on the Sunday that I announced we were leaving, I said, "Pray for us because we're going without knowing." And um, I don't have time to go into all the stories, but man. It has been a fun, fun ride ever since. There's been some bad days, but can I tell you that stepping out on that scary bridge was the most was the smartest thing I could have ever done for my family, for my and I'll use this word loosely because I know some of you for my career because I never chose I never chose the career of ministry. Uh, that's a whole story, but I was a very reluctant participant in this whole pastor thing, and it's just been an amazing journey. Because I point to a time when the Lord helped us through Pastor Jim and through others that were here to step out in faith on something that looked very, very terrifying, but turned into a huge, huge blessing. And not just in the natural, in the supernatural. So here's my first thought say yes to God's instructions. Say yes to God's instructions. It sounds like a big deal when I describe what we went through uh, in our journey during the recession. And again, if I were to tell stories, you would be like, oh, that was a pivotal moment. I didn't know it was a pivotal point. I didn't know it was a big deal. I didn't know it was a huge step of faith. I just knew that that's what God was telling us to do that day. I didn't know how it would play out in the next 20 years. I didn't know how it would affect my children. I didn't know how it would affect my marriage. 23 years this, this year, we're going to be married, Jenny and I. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's watching, so yay. Um, <laughs> all I knew is that God was saying to be obedient in that day, and we were. And I'm telling you today, God is telling you to be obedient with kingdom builders. And not everybody, not no one, can do everything, but everybody can do something. I've got my checkbook in my pocket because when Dina told me the other day on the phone that her goal was $50,000, I said to Jennifer, I said, we got to get involved. I said, the Freedom Center gave so much to us. And I know I'm not giving to the Freedom Center because this money is just going to go out to reach the world. I know some of it's going to go to FCA. I know some is going to go so that teenagers can go to camp. Oh, my gosh, how many people's lives were changed at youth camp? Josh, you better raise your hand because you met camp girl at youth camp. (laughs) I say it lovingly, Lauren. That was our name for Lauren when we first met her. We loved her from day one. Not as much as Josh, but. The name of the the Vacation Bible School? Explore? It's going to go to Explore. Reaching kids in Fenton. Man, how many of your lives were changed because when you were a child, somebody took you to church? That's what's going to happen when you're obedient today. But here's the thing. I'm not praying that you're generous today. I'm praying that you hear from God. I'm, pre- and here, I'm just goofy enough, and I've read enough of the Bible to believe that God can speak specifically to us. If he can say specifically to Elijah, go to this town and look for this widow, and if he can say to the widow, look for this man and give him this food, he can say to you, just like he did to me, a dollar amount that I'm going to write down on that check. For everybody under the age of 30, uh, checks are a form of monetary <laughs> payment whereby I can transfer money from my bank accounts. Okay. <sighs> say yes to God's instructions. See, some make the mistake of saying to God, me first. God, if you'll take care of my needs first, then I'll take care of the stuff you're asking me to do. And they'll say, God, I can't afford that. God, I'll serve you later when I've taken care of these other priorities. Some don't respond to God at all, but they talk about him. God will forgive me if I just do my own thing for now. God would never want me to be upset. God would never want me to be uncomfortable. God would never want me to go without. What if he does? Some ignore God completely. I mean, on one extreme, you've got the folks who say he doesn't exist. Maybe maybe that's been a mental struggle for you. On the other end of the extreme, you've got this blind, foolish commitment to just believe and be crazy enough to believe that what the Bible says is true. I want to err on the side of belief. Say yes to God's instructions. Number two, say yes to God's business. Say yes to God's business. Um... Did you, did, you, did you notice? I know you did because I read it and I made a point of it. But, but let's go back to that passage of scripture for just a moment. The widow, when Elijah said to her, bring me something to eat. Um, her response was not just reality. She said, well, we're gonna, I'm going to make a little meal out of what I have left. And then we're going to die. When I read that, I would say this. She was predicting her own future if she had followed her plan. Because saying no to God for her really was a matter of life and death. So when we say no to God, we're prophesying our own demise. And that's what was happening with the widow. That's what happens with us. Some who refuse God's business are refusing God. They're saying to God, no, 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 me first. But see, God's already gone first. He's already prepared the way for you. In Deuteronomy, when the children of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land, Moses says to Joshua and Caleb as they're going in to explore, he says, go on, the Lord has gone ahead of you. And it was Joshua and Caleb that had the faith to believe that we're all gonna be able to go into the promised land together. But you know the rest of the story. They didn't all get to go in because they lacked faith. They lacked faith to obey what God was saying. And then my last thought is this. Because when you're saying yes to God's instructions, when you're saying yes to God's business, you're saying yes to God's supernatural blessing. In America, we're very comfortable. I know many of you have traveled overseas, and that's a re- everybody should go on a foreign missions trip at some point. You need to go to Haiti, you need to go to El Salvador, you need to go to one of these countries where you realize, not just so you can be grateful for what you have, but you can see people trusting and believing God at a level that you've not been asked to trust and believe. No matter, I think about the provision in this country, because even the worst of the worst, even when things are at their absolute worst, there are resources. They might be hard to get. They might seem far off, but but that's what places like the Freedom Center specialize in: is connecting people to the resources they need. But some places they simply don't have that. I want you to understand something about spiritual. Excuse me, about supernatural blessing, because all blessings are spiritual. You know, Jesus said that the Lord causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. And in that sense, rain was a good thing. Kind of like in our famine, rain would be a good thing. In other words, he's he's saying that God blesses everyone. Even the atheist who refuses to believe in him has breath in his lungs and has an intellect and a mind for, for accumulating wealth, for starting businesses, for doing the work that they're skilled and talented to do. Even that person who refuses to believe in God has the blessing of God on their life. You have the blessing of God on your life no matter what you do. Isn't that nice? We have the blessing of God no matter what. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We just get it. But supernatural blessing? As I read scripture, supernatural blessing comes with a condition. And the condition is obedience. In Genesis, Jacob received the blessing that should have been given to Esau. Because supernatural blessing is not guaranteed. In 2 Chronicles it says, if my people who call on my name, and that's a big if, if my people who call on my name will humble themselves, will pray, will seek my face, will turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and restore their land. There's a condition on their supernatural blessing. In that case, it's obedience. I mean, it's always obedience, but in that case, it was to be humble to turn from their wicked ways, to seek God's face. James chapter four, verse 10 says, if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up in honor. What was the condition there? Humility. There's a condition on supernatural blessing for the widow. Had she dug her heels in and said no? And this is just me imagining. had I think God would have moved on because we, God has given us free will. That woman had free will. God would have spoken in the ear of Elijah and said, we're going to move on to another widow. And that poor little widow lady would have prepared her last meal and slipped into eternity, never knowing what could have been. Because supernatural blessing is not guaranteed. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says that we can know God's will for our life. But even that's conditional. It says, don't copy the behavior. Of the, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I memorized that with some of the teenagers years ago is why I was looking at them. They're not teenagers now, they're parents. I know, I look really young. Honestly, I'm just looking at my notes to make sure I don't leave anything out, but can I read one more thing? I know Pastor Jim doesn't read his notes, and I always was impressed with that, but I already said it. When you say no to God's instructions, you're saying no to his supernatural blessing. So um, Pastor Jim and Dina uh, gave me the, the honor and the privilege of receiving another offering. And and I'm going to walk you through what God walked me through just a few short months after we left Fenton. Um, We had a really hard time selling our house here because as you probably, those of you who remember, you know, and that was our first home. We loved it. We fell in love with it. We gave our heart to a house and it cheated on us. (laughs) It's true. The houses I've bought since then, it is not a love relationship. It is a business relationship. I put money into this thing. You give me shelter, and you give me a return. Um, good house. It's down there on Caroline Street. It's beautiful. Um, and and we went to this new job where I was being asked. And I still owned a home here, and we were living in an apartment in Lansing, trying to figure that one out. And I remember our pastor asked us to do what I'm asking you to do: to give a dollar amount that you sense in your spirit God is telling you to give. So so the the easiest way to do this is to ask yourself, well, what can we do? You know, and you might need to talk with your spouse, and you might need to think about the budget, think about the checkbook. That's that's very smart, very wise. You should do that. So you say, well, what what can we do? Okay, I've got that number. And then there's a second question, and then you say this. You say, okay, that's what I can do. Now, what, what can God do? And then I'm going to ask you to pray. You say, God, what can you do? Maybe the answer is the same number. Like that, that would, That's totally appropriate. But sometimes God says something that makes you go, oh, oh, what? That happened with Jennifer and I the months after we left the Freedom Center. And Johnny, you know this story. I brought my friend Johnny with me. He was the assistant youth pastor when we left uh, with me on staff when we left here and went to Lansing. And I remember Johnny came to me right about that time and he said, Hey man, I I just want you to know his wife, Sarah. He said, Sarah and I have prayed and we're going to give a dollar amount. And, um, I feel like I'm supposed to share that number with you. And he did. And my jaw dropped to the floor. I was like, Johnny, how can you give that much? And he said, well, God always provides. That's what we did last year too. And I'm like, you did this before. And I won't say what the number is that if you want to talk to him afterwards, I'm sure he'll tell you. And I was like, God, I can't do that. And in the kingdom, God would speak to me separate from Johnny. So it wasn't, but I thought, well, that's what God said to him. God's going to say something different to me and it's not going to be that much because I got a house in Fenton and I got to sell. We're trying to figure out how to live on, you know, pay rent and mortgage at the same time. God, you're going to tell me something I can manage. Well, that number Johnny said just kept coming back to me in my sleep, in the morning, in the evening when I would pray. I just saw that number. And then Jennifer comes to me, my wife, and she says, hey, what number are you thinking? What has God said to you? And I told her half of the amount. (laughs) And it was a lot. And she goes, huh? And she said the exact same amount Johnny said. And I said, well, I wanted to say that, but I was afraid. And she's like, well, let's do it. The rest is history, you guys. The rest is history. Now, I don't, think I, would have, I don't think I would have prepared my last meal and died if I hadn't done it, right? But I do know that there's been a hand of spiritual blessing on my life, on my journey, and it's remarkable. And I want that for you. And I want, oh my gosh, I want it so desperately for Genesee County, Michigan. I'm so encouraged to see the growth since I've come back. I, I haven't really been here in a long time. I mean, last time I was here, again, recession so like seeing businesses, seeing new, uh, seeing the homes that are built, seeing the people that are thriving and flourishing, the marriages that have happened, the ch- Oh, there is a hand of blessing here, and I just want you to know more of that and to know more of the spiritual blessing. I'm done talking. I'm going to pray. You're going to pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And then you're going to give. Some of you already gave in the offering earlier, and the Lord is saying, hey, I want you to do some more. Some of you, you gave earlier in the offering, and the Lord is simply saying to you right now, thank you for being obedient. So, Lord, right now, would you speak to hearts? Would you, would you just make that number appear in people's hearts and lives? And I'm not, I'm not trying to be weird or TBN or anything like that. I'm just saying God can do it. What's God asking you to give? So, Lord, speak to us now. Calm, fears. We're not not walking out on that bridge freaking out, Lord. We are walking out holding your hand, believing that you have given us every good thing to be used to invest in your kingdom and in others, and you provide our supernatural blessing. What an honor it is for me, Lord, to be able to pray right now. So I'm just going to choose to pray for the businesses that are represented in this room. Lord, bring prosperity to every business owner here. Bring prosperity to every contractor here, Lord. Bring prosperity to every hourly worker here, every salaried worker here, Lord. Bring prosperity to every future business owner because there are entrepreneurs that that haven't even started their business yet, and Lord, they just need your supernatural blessing as they move forward. Lord, be on every single person who desires to be married and wants to have a supernatural blessing in their marriage. Be on every teenager that wants you to give them supernatural blessing as they make choices about their career and education and spouse. Lord, just an honor, God, to be able to pray for the good people of Fenton, Michigan. The last thing I pray is just obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if I understand correctly, there are ways to give that you can give anyway. Do they know the ways? Is there going to be up on the screen? There's ushers in the back. What's crazy is I asked these questions before and now I can't remember. I think I'm smart. And then moments like this, I go, I'm not that smart. Well, there will be ushers in the back. I see Carl back there with the buckets ready to receive. I've got a check. I'm going to go make my check out. Jennifer and I are investing today because we love you and we want to be a part of what God's doing at the Freedom Center. Amen? Hey, God bless you. Thank you, everybody.